You're listening to the Women Offshore podcast. And before we get started, I wanted to remind you that you are invited to the Women Offshore Benefit Gala. This is an event that will raise funds for our initiatives in 2022. It will take place on February 5th at the Petroleum Club of Houston, Texas, and it is black tie attire. There will be a silent auction, amazing food, and dancing throughout the evening. We really hope that you can join us. Tickets are available at womenoffshore.org. Bring a friend and contribute to the organization as we make waves to reduce the gender gap on the water. Thank you, and I really hope to see you there. Now, today on the podcast, you're going to meet a woman in our community who is a petroleum engineer all the way from Kazakhstan. She's often worked as one of the only women on board and has wanted to change that. She's working on an initiative at her company, Shearwater Geoservices, and she's going to share that as well as what she's learned in her career path. This is the Women Offshore Podcast. I'm your host, Ali Cedeno, a mariner and founder of Women Offshore. Women Offshore is a 501c3 nonprofit organization supporting a diverse workforce on the water. Today on the podcast, I have with me Galea Zedakova. She has a background in petroleum engineering and works on board Shearwater Geoservices seismic vessels as observer operator. She started her career as an intern in Maersk Oil Company, conducting well tests on the biggest Maersk onshore project, Dunga Oil Field. During her senior year at university, she was employed at Slumberjay Western Jayco, where she started to work offshore as international projects and in wireline, working onshore on the oil and gas rigs as well. This year, she initiated the Gender Balance Network within Shearwater, won the McKinsey Women Achievement Award, and started her master's degree in offshore engineering and shipping operations. She's so accomplished, a great woman to know in our community, a woman who works offshore. Welcome, Galia. Welcome to the Women Offshore Podcast. Thank you very much, Ellie. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here today. Yeah, I'm glad for you to be here. I'm glad to know you, get to know your career more, be inspired by you. So can you start out, like, how did you get started in the industry? Was there someone that maybe inspired you? So to be honest, I'm living in the city, which is like enclosed. We don't have the seaside. I'm living in Almaty, Kazakhstan, and all we have the mountains. And I would never, ever thought that I will work offshore, to be honest. I don't have any family members working there. I don't know anybody personally who worked there. So I just, when I was at the university, I was thinking that I want to do three things, at least one of them, you know, to accomplish. So first of all, it's to do seismic, because it was so interesting. I have background in petroleum engineering, and seismic was one of the most interesting things for me. And then I wanted to work offshore, because I learned that working offshore is very challenging. And usually, like, only top, top people get there, to be honest. And the first thing, I wanted to work for Schlumberger because I was so inspired by all the students who started their career in Schlumberger. And it was like one of the top companies I ever heard about in oil and gas services. And I was like, okay, I want to do at least this seismic or offshore or working in Schlumberger. And then when I got my job offer, I was like, oh my God, it's got all three things. Yeah. So I became seismic engineer working offshore. For Everything. Yeah. And it was very tough, to be honest. They did this diversity thing at that time, 
when I received my interview invitation from Slamerje, it was called Kazakh female candidates only. So they were looking for Kazakh female. I was like, okay, that's quite narrow, to be honest. But still, it was so tough. I had few interviews. I had a lot of tests to go through. And then after months of application, I was selected out of 30, 40 candidates. And I was feeling so great, you know, it's like, wow. And I got the job offer before graduation. So I was kind of mentally preparing for that. My family was mentally preparing for that as well. But I had a lot of to improve and get ready. Let's say English was one of the third things I needed to improve because it wasn't so good. When I got my job offer, I needed to Google translate the word vessel because I didn't know what is that. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've accomplished so much. You've come really far, it sounds like, to be able to have this conversation today on the podcast. Like, that's a huge accomplishment. Thank you so much. I felt amazing and I'm still happy. You know, I'm feeling, was it the luck or was it the hard work? I don't know. Maybe like big combination of everything. Yeah, and then I just had my three months of training for joining the vessel and know how to do my job, all the survival training, BOSIET, STCW trainings for sure. And then I got on my first ship when I was 20 years old and I was in the Gulf of Mexico and I was, wow, <laughs> I was so cool. You know, you've accomplished a lot in a short period of time. What do you think you're most proud of at this point? It's work. It's workplace. I would say it's the gender balance network, which I initiated this year because it's something meaningful. Yes, I do my job. Yes, I put myself out there like 100% always there. I love it. But I always wanted to do something more than that and help others. Like this is one of my priorities to be helpful, to be just to do something for other people generally. And when I was thinking that, okay, we have these KPIs all the time, we want to bring more females on board, we want to work with more females offshore generally. And I was asking myself, like, I am this representative, I am the female working offshore, what can I do to help them to get there? And creating this gender balance network was the idea. Initially, it was called female network, because I was concentrating on females. But then in the whole process of approving the project and going through the management conversations and stuff, we realized that we don't want to diminish any other gender. So we just want to make it balanced. And we called it Gender Balance Network. So now it's going on. We have a lot of plans. We just started. We're going to go public very soon. For now, we just keep it inside, like our small project is growing. And we have males joining us for all this support, if you know. And so many people just think this idea is so great that I do realize, okay, this was a good idea. And I'm really proud of myself, to be honest. It's just a small thing and company just took it so positively. It's a very powerful initiative that you're behind. And I can't wait to see what it turns into and talk to you later on to see what you've accomplished. And that's absolutely fantastic that you have men involved too. That will be a big part of the success, right? Because women make up such a small percentage of this industry. So we need men to be involved. And so that's really great. So, you know, you've sailed all over the world. Are there any great sea stories that you can share with us? Any memorable experiences you want to reflect on? I was always asking my friends, like I'm coming back home and they wait for me, like for my crazy stories from offshore because life offshore is so wonderful. But the only story which they all remembered and they keep talking about it is about my medivac. I had a medivac with my previous employer. It was one of my very first trips. It was in Norway, and we had very bad weather. It was like a storm. It was raining. And just all of a sudden, I had a very strong pain in the kidneys. So I went to see our medic on board, 
he was a professional, he started to take all the tests, checking this and that, contacting onshore to make sure that he gets the proper consultancy. And in the end, the pain was so bad. They asked me, like, how bad is the pain out of 10? And I said, nine. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. And I said, wow, okay, that's quite strong. What if it's going to be 10? And I said, I think I'm just going to pass out because it was so strong. And then it was a storm. And then Captain came to me and he was speaking Russian. And I speak Russian as well. So he talked to medic and then he turned around and said, do you want a medivac? And I said, is it up to me? It's like, yeah, like you see the weather is not so bad. Like we're making decision now, but I really want to know if you are feeling safe because this is the most important thing. Like the communication was great, you know? And I said, I don't have much choice. I think I'm going to die. I don't know what's going on, to be honest. I'm so scared. I said, okay, let's do it. But he was pale white. And then they called the chopper. It was quite fast. They arranged everything. But also it was my, I think, second trip offshore. And everyone already looked at me like, oh, look at this young 20-year-old girl. And now she got sick. So I wanted to show that I'm tough. And we have the CCTV cameras around the vessel. And of course, everyone switched on the one on the helder because they wanted to see how I'm going to land on the chopper. And the chopper was coming, sitting on the helideck while Ken, and then going up because it was too wavy and then coming down. So they said, okay, you need to go inside when it's going to be touching it. Oh, no, they suggested that they're going to carry me inside. And I said, no, I will walk myself. They said, this is not okay. Like, I mean, it could not be safe or you're in pain. Maybe you want us to carry you. I said, no, I'm fine. Because I knew that everyone is watching and I want them to see that I'm capable of walking. I'm okay. I'm a healthy person, you know. I, just, I was just thinking about all these people who are watching me now and judging probably. And we just started to approach to the helicopter. Chief officer said, okay, now you can go. We started to go. And then all of a sudden, because the waves came, it was so slippery because of the rain. I just fell down on my kidneys on the back on the helicopter. And I started to slide to the left and to the right. And they were running up to me trying oh to my get gosh. Me back to the chopper. So they managed to get me inside. Yeah, everything was fine. We just flew away. Everything was great. In the end, I spent like a few days in the hospital. And yeah, everything was great. In the end, I just got healthier. I just had some small stand in my kidneys. And then they said, okay, do you want to fly back home or you want to come back on the vessel? And I said, I'm coming back. And they're like, are you crazy? <laughs> just go home. It's fine. You're not going to be fired. for that. Like, it's a case, a medical case. And you're probably so tired and your family is worried. Now you can go home. And I said, no, I'm tough. I'm going back. And then after a few days, I came back. And the captain, when he saw me, he was like, Galia, do you know, I'm not religious at all. But then when we were having the helicopter here on the helideck, I was staying and praying because I got so scared of you. And I came back and we had the client on board. And he was a very strict, old school fashion guy who barely had a couple of words to us because he was so strict and professional. And he came to see me and he said, I'm impressed you're very tough. Good job. And that was the biggest compliment I ever got in my life. I was still like, wow. yes. <laughs> that's yeah, what you're like, waiting wow. for. Yeah. I think that's the craziest story. Yeah. Well, there's some resilience right there. That's for sure. We always talk about how resilient women who work on the water are. And, and there's an example. And wow, what an experience. And I bet that was pretty terrifying trying to get in that <laughs> helicopter and not yeah, being able to. Scary. And yeah, and knowing that, you know, you were in pain and the crew was watching oh, yeah. and, oh, wow. You know, another thing that we talk about a lot are challenges and it's no secret, right, that this is a challenging industry, especially for women when you're the token on board. What challenges have you had to overcome and how did you get through them? 
my biggest challenge is not offshore, but it's onshore. Because I'm coming from a very strict culture, like Kazakh culture. We have a lot of stereotypes and ideas of how a girl should grow up and like manage her life. And for example, girls here back in Kazakhstan, they get married very early, quite early, like at 20s or 18 years old sometimes. They build their family. They should be family focused. Sometimes they are pushed to sit at home. Their husbands are working and like women meant to be in the kitchen, you know. And that's it. So when I said to my parents that I'm going to work offshore, it's going to be abroad and I'm planning to build my career. I don't want to have my family right now. I'm quite young for that. Everyone was shocked. And, you know, when I called my father and I said, okay, dad, I'm going to work offshore. And he was quite happy for me. He was always empowering me. He was always supporting me a lot. And when I called my mom, she said, no. I said, what do you mean? No. She said, no, you're not allowed. You're not allowed. <laughs> like, it is not a night over in my friend's place. It is a job. I'm getting a job offer and I'm going to do the work offshore. She's like, no, it's not safe. This is this, this is that. So she was like super against that. So for my very first trip, I needed to kind of escape from home to get on the plane. Oh, no. So she was quite tense about it for some time. But then once she saw how happy I am, how good I am there, I love my job. She became more supportive and now she's so proud of me and she called me my Nobel Prize, Aww. which is so sweet. Yeah, the stereotyping basically. And I still have this relatives who are asking me like, oh, hey, how are you? When are you getting married? Or when are you quitting offshore? I'm like, no, I don't want. Once you join, you never quit. That's the thing. Yeah, I bet you feel like a broken record sometimes just having to explain yeah. it over and over again and kind of wish people would just finally move past that. Yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah, that is a challenge. But it sounds like you get through it all right. And you just keep going after your career dreams, keep showing up every day. What is something that you had to learn in your career that was a tough lesson? Is there anything that stands out that maybe you'd want a woman who is starting out on a similar career path, That something that she should know? I would say... I learned how to be firm but fair. As me, like we all have personalities, right? The characters. And I am very open, very friendly. I like to talk. I want to make more friends, you know. But then sometimes you need to remind yourself and remind others that there is a line. You should be professional. Some people sometimes take the friendly approach as a flirt. So that's the <laughs> lessons learned. So I decided, okay, I'm going to be firm but fair. It's also coming from the bias. The bias can be unconscious. It can be conscious. So the idea is that we're all employees and we're equal. There's no such thing like, like a gender when we're working, right? We're all equal. However, unfortunately, some people look at it and see a young girl who is probably not capable, she's not experienced, they judge. They don't say it out loud, but they can. So that's why I need to be very firm. If I have the opinion, I should stand for it. If I have ideas how to do the troubleshooting, I need to be a bit more pushy to get it through. You know what I mean? Because that's like an extra small challenge, which I'm dealing with as a female. So while others don't get biased, I'm always in situation when I need to make sure that I'm professional and I send this very strong signal, but again, being fair, not being like too much. So that's the lesson I learned. Yeah. Thinking about that approach and having confidence that, hey, you know, I'm going to be heard. I have a great opinion on something. So I'm going to put that forward. That can take some time, right? Like especially women starting out in their careers maybe don't want to rock the boat and and they just kind of yeah. stand back. So like kind of forcing yourself to take an active stance on things 
is something that probably a lot of men don't think about. But we as women, especially early on in our careers, when we're trying to figure out how we fit into the conversation, have to to think about a little bit more. Exactly. Yeah, I get that. It's a mixture of cultures as well. So you need to be sure that you do it respectfully. You start to think about, okay, what is their background? So many things to consider. But then I think I nail it now. And I know what to do sometimes. <laughs> and sometimes when I see the young girl coming and she's having a some like, kind of difficult situation, I just like, okay, here's my advice. If you want, you take it. If you don't want, you don't take it. But then and then it works. I'm like, just remember, you're here for work. And we're here for work at the end of the day. And just, just be professional. And that's it. You're here for, for your skills, not for your gender or whatever. Right. And when companies have these targets it can really get into our heads that that's really the only reason why we're here. And something that you said in the beginning, I think is so powerful that, yeah, you were recruited because you're a woman, that company had a target to bring in women, but they still put you through everything, right? They put you through all the rigorous interviews and steps that anyone else would have to take. And you had to earn that spot. And those things shouldn't be confused that because you're a diversity number, a target, you know, you didn't earn it. Companies have to set targets to eliminate bias in their system. Mm -hmm. And so when you enter the workforce, like you have, you want to be treated like anyone else is treated. But as a woman, you might hold yourself back and think that, oh, I'm just here because of my gender. People have probably told you that as well. And so then you have to like remind yourself that, hey, no, I've earned this too. It's the system that targeted me because of my gender, but I still went through everything and I still belong. Exactly. I completely agree with you. So, you know, we've talked about challenges. We've talked about lessons learned. What do you think needs to change about the industry so that we can be more diverse? Are you looking at other companies to create Similar initiatives, for example, like what Shearwater Geoservices is doing with their gender balance initiative. What do you think? I think we are trying to figure out right now what we can do internally and then go out and talk about more. Let's say work with universities and schools. So the most important thing I would say is spend more time to educate offshore population about diversity. Because as I said before, there are some people with the old-fashioned culture, old-fashioned mindset and sometimes I'm still hearing like, oh, offshore is for men. Offshore is not for women. And I'm like, why? And I don't want to start this conversation because maybe I don't have enough education that, or it's not my role to tell them how they should think. In the end of the day, it's your opinion and you have right to have your own opinion. But what I'm suggesting to educate them is how to talk to, to other people, how to talk about diversity, how to share your opinion or if you should share it at all. Let's say about the females, we need more qualified female candidates. So we need to be ready to accommodate them. If you are hosting guests and they're coming and then you don't have enough seats or you don't have food or plates, it's going to be a bad idea to invite guests at all. So before we go public and start to get more female candidates, we need to be sure that we are ready. It's not only education and training. It's also facilities for females. Some boats, I hear it time to time. I was lucky to be on the boat where we have everything for females. But sometimes there are no female changing rooms. There are no female toilets. Simple things, which makes it less so difficult. Or there are no medical supplies. They need to bring everything with you. And sometimes you can get stuck there for months. And you cannot just predict everything, right? So we need to start from the small operational things. 
and then showed to all the women saying, hey, we have it. You're going to be happy here. You're going to be comfortable and you'll be able to perform your work without any concerns. After all the things would be figured out, let's say I would start to pay more attention to universities and schools because that's where we start to get the candidates. It's not about putting more advertise of the job, right, of position. It's more about how many females actually graduate for the degrees we're interested in, engineering degrees, maritime degrees. So if we go to universities and make sure they know about us, let's say about share water geoservices or other companies, so they're going to know that offshore industries are very exciting and we are very excited to get more females also because maybe they think that it's only for males. Maybe they met someone who told them that it's not their place. But it could be already late because young girls choose their career before university. So maybe we need to go even deeper and talk to them at school because sometimes it's very important to just sit down and talk to kids sometimes. Because no one explains them what is offshore industry. <laughs> I didn't know what is seismic before I was like on the second or third year of university, right? So if we're going to tell them it can be in a playful, nice manner, they will get excited, they will remember that. And then when they will choose their degree where to go to study, they will choose more related professions or programs to offshore industries. So getting them interested that early would contribute to the overall amount of the applicants in a few years. It's kind of a long-term plan though, but I think it's going to work. Yeah, no, I think that's great. The things that I'm hearing from you are, you know, you got to have the environment first, the accommodations in place. And these are our basic things that the industry is set up for men. But we have to remember with women, they need their own bathrooms, own changing rooms, medical supplies. There's certain things that have to just be in place in order to have women on board. And then also, we have to make sure that there's exposure to the industry, not just to the men, but also to the women, and that they know that this is a place for them. So yeah, really great. And we want to see more of that for sure. So thank you for sharing all that. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Galia. Is there anything else you want to share with us before we wrap up? Yeah, I'll just probably say one message, which I always say to all my colleagues, not only women, but also men, do not forget that men empower women too. Because whoever is out there right now on the ship or vessel and you're being probably the only female in the crew and that maybe makes you feel that you're lonely or alone. No, you're neither of that. Just remember that you're not alone and you have your colleagues who are males as well and they can empower and support you too. And when I have this conversation offshore with my colleagues, because very often I'm the only female crew member on board and they say that, oh, this gender balancing female network is your girly thing your girly idea, girly stuff, I say, no, you're actually a big part of that. Like you cannot maybe realize it now, but you are. And they say, how? No, I'm not doing anything for that. I'm not interested. I say, no, listen, I'm coming here at work. You take care of me. You look out for me. You say I'm moody. You talk to me. You care about my mental health. You help me at work. You don't let me take anything heavy. You teach me. You mentor me. So it's already empowering me a lot. So I love my job. I love coming on my shift. And it's a great empowerment. And in the end of the trip, I'll be so happy and I'll be willing to come back. Because imagine it takes one bad person to meet and then they're going to ruin the whole thing. And then you just don't want to do this job. So I said, thank you. You're contributing a lot. And then you can see how they're changing. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And they try to hide their smile, but they actually... Yeah, yeah, that's a simple thing everyone knows. I'm like, no, it's not a common sense sometimes. 
So you're doing a good job. Thank you very much. And you see how with time they start to talk to others and remind them, hey, this is a lady, you should support her, you should do this and that. So they start to spread it. And it's kind of like a very positive, contagious thing, which is spreading around the vessel and around the crew once they start to talk to them about that. So just kind of reminder to everyone out there that just be open. Yeah. Oh, that's great. You compliment them as allies and they seem to really like that and kind of wakes them up to what they're doing as individuals to make it an inclusive environment. So that's good. And, you know, there's this saying I saw the other day that what gets recognized gets repeated. So, you know, it sounds like that's exactly what's happening here is you recognize them and then it spreads. So that's great. Thanks so much, Galia. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It's great to get to know you and I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you very much for your invitation. I'm so glad. It's a great beginning of the year for me. I'm a big fan of Women Offshore. Good luck with your plans for this year. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Women Offshore podcast. What did you think of the show? Leave a rating and review an Apple podcast. Additionally, if you want to propel Women Offshore forward, please visit womenoffshore.org or womenoffshore.shop. Make a donation or purchase some swag. Until next time, stay safe out there and I'll talk to you soon.